Praise God, beloved, and welcome to Grateful for Love. This is Regina. I'm just so thankful, and I praise God for each and every opportunity to be able to uh, be right alongside you as we study the Word of God together. And today, um, I wanted to look at a verse coming out of the book of Matthew, chapter 4 and verse 4. And um, this verse comes up under the subheading of the temptation of Jesus. And uh, I'm reading from the NIV translation. And verse 4 reads, it says, Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I want to look at today uh, really in relation to overcoming temptation. And I'm going to look at the example of Jesus and how he did it. And of course, Jesus is our example. He is the pattern that we want to um, put our lives um, side by side with and follow his pattern, follow the things that he did. And so I think that's an important point to uh, note at the beginning. We are not looking at other people. Now, of course, there are people in our lives that we may uh, admire, respect, and so forth, but they are just as fallible and prone to make a mistake to sin as we are. And so we don't want to put so much value in looking at and following that person to the point that if and when, and more than likely when than if, when they sin, when they fall, when they make a misstep or commit a wrong, that we're not just devastated. When I just turned off and then the enemy, the enemy will come in and tell us, well, see, I told you that that Christianity wasn't anything about that because look how they felt. Look what they did. And that happens a lot only when, in my estimation, when we are so centered on that person or people in general and how they walk. And, um, and they're saying that they're believers, that they're Christians, but then we see things that they do and say that are just the opposite, and then we're turned off. And so we have to keep a, um, a good distance with that and a better perspective that they are not the primary example that Jesus is, that he is the example, and he is the one that we need to watch and follow in his footsteps on the things that he did. And in this uh, passage, uh, to give you a little backstory of this passage and how it comes about, as you're reading the book of Matthew, and there are other accounts as well in the Gospels of Luke as well as Mark, in regards to, first of all, John the Baptist. Uh, but in the book of Matthew, John the Baptist is uh, introduced over here about him in chapter 3. And he is preaching. He is said to be the one who uh, was foretold that would um, be that voice that would be crying out in the wilderness. And he would be saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And John knew what his purpose was. John knew that he was 
to be the forerunner for Jesus and that he would be the one that would be introducing, if you will, Jesus to the world, namely to this region, to Jerusalem and to um, uh, the whole area around the Jordan River. And so, and what he was telling them to do was to confess your sins and that he would baptize them in order to prepare them for uh, meeting and coming to know Jesus. And so while he was doing this, the thing that he was sent to do, Jesus comes and um, wants John to baptize him. And John was saying, oh Lord, you know, I want you or I need you to baptize me. And Jesus said, well, no, uh, in order that, um, you know, God's will and his righteousness is fulfilled, you need to baptize me. And so John consents to do that. And so he he um, he baptizes Jesus. And when he does that, um, it says in verse 16, and this is chapter 3, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then immediately in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And um, and I think it's interesting to note that oftentimes when we find ourselves um Let's say, if you will, in a, on a spiritual high in terms of we've seen a great victory. Uh, we've been praying and pressing through and we have a great breakthrough. Don't be surprised that if not soon after that, there will come temptation that the enemy will try to come at us to try to dismantle all that we just experienced. Jesus had just experienced um God announcing um, vocally that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then God's spirit drives him into the wilderness. And we hear about um, where it says here, uh, it says that verse 2 says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, So, after not only was he driven into the wilderness, and this sort of replicates uh, a picture of what uh, the children the children of Israel went through during their stay in the wilderness. Uh, that God um, um, had to, um, for a time, they went through the wilderness because there was so much complaining and and just um, uh, just. Uh, backbiting the leader and so forth after they had been delivered from the hands of Pharaoh from Egypt. And now it's almost as if they forgot everything that God had had, uh, delivered them from and how God went about doing it with all the plagues and then seeing the Red Sea parted and so forth. And so so Jesus was letting them see. uh, One writer says that um, that he could relate to 
this wilderness experience because he too was being driven to the wilderness. Now, of course, Jesus going into the wilderness was different in terms of why he went there as opposed to the children of Israel. But nevertheless, a wilderness is still a wilderness. And so um, a desert place. And it would kind of uh, give you the idea that there would be no one there to give any type of physical support. You're there in a desolate area and you're by yourself. And um, and so this is where Jesus found himself uh, to be um, in this wilderness place. Um, but the Holy Spirit led him there. And so if the Holy Spirit led him there, then who do you think was in control? The Holy Spirit. So if God is, has led you someplace that may seemingly be uh, not quite uh, what you would like for it to be in terms of the outside um, appearance of it, if you know that God has led you there, then God will certainly be able to uh, protect and keep you there uh, as long as we and you and I, we keep our focus and our um, our eyes on him and not on our circumstance or our situation. Now, it says here that he was hungry. Why? Because he had fasted. He had um, denied himself food for 40 days. And so, and only then did the tempter, the NIV says, um, shows up. And um, in the Good News Translation, I want to read it from the Good News Translation. It says, verse 1 says, Then the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After spending 40 days and nights without food, Jesus was hungry. Then the devil came to him and said, If you are God's son, order these stones to turn into bread. Now we just heard the voice of God in verse um, 16 of chapter 3. Um, that verbally said that this is my beloved son. I love him. Um the NIV says, um, I am well pleased with him. So, and I'm not, um, it would not uh, surprise me in the least that the enemy was somewhere nearby and he heard that. So it's not like he did not know who Jesus was because he did know. But he says, nevertheless, he says, if, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And um, and I'm sure being a desert, I'm sure there were rocks and stones everywhere around him, maybe even resembling <laughs> loaves of bread or pieces of bread. Um, but nevertheless, Jesus did not entertain what uh, the devil was tempting him to do. He said immediately in verse 4, it is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And back to the Good News Translation, it says, um, But Jesus answered, The scripture says human beings cannot live on bread alone. 
but need every word that God speaks. And we're not saying that we don't need bread because we do. But we don't need bread alone. And that's because I believe that we're not just a physical body in and of itself. We have a spirit. We have a soul. And the spirit and soul of man does not live on bread. The spirit and soul of man was designed to be in fellowship. To be in an intimate relationship with our creator and when that's void when that's missing then we put too much emphasis on the physical and we try to appease the spirit and soul of us through the flesh and fleshly things cannot and will never satisfy our spirit because it opposes the spirit the body the bible says that that the flesh and the spirit are always at war with each other because the flesh can't do for the spirit what only God can do for the spirit and through that and through us through our spiritual being and so it's important that we understand that that we're not just a body we're not just a physical human body we're more than that and because we're more than that we need more than just physical things to satisfy us um, I want to look at a couple of cross-references uh, in regards to our key verse today on how Jesus, Jesus responds to, to the devil, that man does not live on bread alone. I first want us to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8 and verse 3. Excuse me. 8 and verse 3. Excuse me. And it says, um, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And it further says, Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then, and this is verse 5, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Now, this verse comes up under the subheading of do not forget the Lord. Do not forget the Lord. And the children of Israel are the ones that um, we're speaking about that this verse concerns. And it says, he humbled you. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. And remember, as they were wandering in the desert and no food uh, were they able to find, and and you had hundreds of thousands, 
perhaps even a million people that came out of Egypt um, at the time of this great exodus that God um, had to come about when he, through Moses, had the children of Israel delivered. And so, um, and at a certain point, food ran out. They brought, of course, what they had, but food eventually began to run low and then little to no food and then no food. But God sent manna. He sent, uh, if you will, bread from heaven to feed his people. And it says here that, um, and it says why? It says to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So they had to depend upon God to provide. They couldn't hunt. They couldn't find it any other way. They had to depend upon God to provide this bread from heaven to sustain them, to sustain them. And then it says, uh, it further says that your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. They didn't have a change of clothes. They couldn't go to uh, a closet like we can go to a closet and take out another outfit, a different outfit. They had the same clothes. And so uh, these clothes did not wear out, nor did their shoes wear out on their feet. Their feet didn't even swell uh, these 40 years, not four days, not four months, 40 years. But God was their provider. God was the one who was their source of everything. And then I love how it ends by saying in verse 5 of this 8th chapter of Deuteronomy, it says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord, your God, disciplines you. And the reason why they were in the wilderness for these 40 years was because of complaining. Uh, They uh, were disobedient in terms of uh, not giving thanks to God, but they were complaining. They were whining to the leader, uh, accusing Moses of not knowing where he was going and we're better off going back to Egypt and so forth. And so uh, God allowed them to just wander in the wilderness. So this was, for them, a sign of discipline. This was for them a sign to teach them that God is the one who set you free. And if God set you free, don't you think that God can keep you through this time? If God can deliver you from the hands of the most powerful man that was known uh, in the ancient world, it was Pharaoh. If God can deliver you out of his hands, surely he can walk you through this time and get you to where he's promised you to be if you only trust, have faith and confidence in him. Let's look at one more verse. Uh, Let's turn to the book of St. John, uh, chapter 4. And verse 34. 
And this brings it back to uh, Jesus now speaking. And keeping in mind, we're talking about that um, Jesus is about to enter into his public ministry. But before he goes into his public ministry, he's tested. He is tempted, rather, by the enemy. Uh, The Holy Spirit sends him into the wilderness. So the Holy Spirit is the one who is behind the scenes directing. He's in charge. And he has it where Jesus goes into the wilderness. And the devil is allowed to tempt him. The devil comes to tempt him. And um, I think it's important that that we understand that even though even though the devil was the agent of the temptation of Jesus he was not the one who controlled the situation rather Jesus again was led he was led by the spirit of God to be in this place of testing And um, according to James chapter 1 and verse 13, we know that God does not tempt any person to sin. But I believe he will use even the malicious motives of people. And in this case, the malicious motive of the devil. God will use that in order to further his own good purpose. And I'm reminded of um, one of my favorite um, um, persons of the Old Testament is Joseph that we read about in the book of Genesis. And we may get a chance to teach on Joseph at some point in the future. And uh, Joseph was um, thrown in a pit by his brothers. And he ended up being sold to a caravan that went into um, Egypt and he was um, ended up being a servant to Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife accuses him of sexual assault. And he's thrown in prison. And, um, and he was a young man, maybe 17 or 18 at that time. And all of the things, the hardships that he went through were probably a good 15 to 17 years. And, uh, but... When his brothers uh, finally come to Egypt because of the famine in their land, there was a horrible drought and there was uh, just no food uh, to be grown of any significant amount to be able to keep his family and brothers and father alive that remained there. And so they had to make a journey to Egypt. And so when Joseph finally makes himself known to his brothers, and this is in the book of Genesis 45, and I love this part, and you can turn there if you you choose to. It's 45 of Genesis. Um, I'm going to read at uh, beginning at verse 4. And it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for 
selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then skip down to verse 7, and it says, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So what was a malicious motive of the brothers in this particular instance with Joseph? It became and went full circle. And Joseph realized and was able to tell them in verse 45 that God sent me here ahead of you. God had it to be so that I would come here before you, you, you would even know you would have a need for me. I would be here ready and having made ready a place for you here. And he said, uh, to save you, to save lives. That's why God sent me here, to save lives. So it wasn't about the brothers getting uh, the upper hand and being sold into slavery, uh, that they got Joseph good. It wasn't about that. It was about that Joseph would be in the right place at the right time so that when this famine hit, Joseph would have had built up such a following of respect um, by Pharaoh himself that he was now second in command. So the years that he had been there, he was honored and he was respected. And now he was in a position to be able to help his family to survive the famine. But the, the last verse out of John 4 and 34 reads, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus recognized that bread alone wasn't enough. That would only sustain the physical body. But my food is to do the will of him who sent me, him being God the Father who sent me here. And he had work to do. He had work to uh, begin and to complete. And he recognized that from the very beginning. And that's what he did. And so we need to be just that focused and just um, that determined and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the strength that we need to value the Word of God and God's assignment to us more than to value our own physical comforts. Yes, we all want to be comfortable. Yes, no one wants to go through anything. But in reality, we do go through things. We do. Whether we're saved or unsaved, we go through things. And so how we go through things, uh, when we go through them with our focus on God and God empowering us to be able to go through, it builds us up. It strengthens us. It makes us stronger. We come out better on the other side. And now we're able to help someone else to go through what they go through to come to the other side in great victory. And so as we trust God through all of these things, we overcome uh, because of us allowing the word to remain active. And we're not just hearing the word, but we are following after the word. We are 
applying the word to our daily lives. So we're learning that the best defense against temptation is when we not just hear God's word, but that we walk it out. We apply it. We live it each and every day. And we'll see God's hand making us stronger each and every day because we are honoring his word. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you today for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that we recognize that Jesus knew that the word of God was more, far greater and far valuable than even bread, even food, but that God's word would be what he would need and use to be able to propel him forward to continue in God's work and God's will for his life that we too, oh God, might see the same example in Jesus and that we would pattern ourselves after him and do it God's way. That we must value God's word and see God's word as our only and best defense to be able to fight against the enemy. We thank you, Father, for this time together in your word. And we pray, Father God, that lives will be changed and made stronger because of the word today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.